From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Tim Nichols, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Communities, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. As a lender, developer, or master developer, Nichols has worked on more than $2 billion worth of projects in the Twin Cities, Greater Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. All right. Well, I'm pleased to be joined today by Tim Nichols, CEO of Lifestyle Communities here in the Twin Cities, a prolific developer of senior housing products, senior co-ops, and uh, pleased to be Pleased to have you uh, on the podcast, Tim. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal, Brian, and, and thanks very much for noticing and the kind introduction. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, so um, I wonder if we could just start out by talking a little bit about lifestyle communities. Can you tell us a little bit about the company, um, how long you've been in business, and sort of what your specialty is? Can you uh, expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, appreciate it. Uh, Lifestyle Communities, I'm the CEO of that, so which means I work for Dina Meyer, who's the president, and Ben Landhauser, who's the vice president, executive vice president, and a lot of other good sales uh, individuals and development professionals that we've uh, brought together. Um, my, my real role in that whole organization is setting the, setting the, the direction generally, and that direction is clearly senior housing. Uh, clearly uh, a division of that, if you will, that is really a different thing than most people think of when they think of what we do. They think we are in solidly that senior housing mode. We're in active adult mode. And uh, there's, a, to me, a very big distinction between those product types. Um, so if you'd like to talk a little bit deeper about that, that'd be fine. But yeah. uh, in essence, what we've done with our company is over the past 30, I'd like to say less than that, because I wouldn't seem so old, but uh, over the last 33 years, I guess, have really refined that, um, the focus on what we've done. I've I've been really blessed to have had a lot of good mentors in the industry that gave me a head start. I always thought when I started this industry in 89, I'd have a 10-year head start, but I think I got a 20-year head start. And... um, that was being introduced to a lot of great people. And we fashioned this kind of refinement of cooperative housing over the years to really, you know, focus solely on that. Uh, we are really good in that space and we're proud of it. And um, the the consumers know we are too. And, and again, you're noticing Brian and rest of my peers in the community. We're the, kind of the cooperative guy and we're proud of it. Can you talk a little bit about what what exactly cooperatives are versus the more traditional senior products? You essentially own a share in the uh, community, is that right? 
Yeah, right on, Brian. Um, it's different in that um, our objective really is uh, to appeal to the wants and needs of those consumers that don't need to move. They're, they're active adults that are looking for a lifestyle situation that don't need to move because they don't have any absolute desires to, but they sure don't need their big home anymore. And they don't want to leave a, a community that has meant something to them. At least a goodly amount of those people don't need to and won't move from that community. But we hear from so many people that become shareholders in the cooperative corporation, which they own, which is distinctively different than a rental, as you know, uh, is uh, that they wouldn't have moved if we hadn't have built it. And uh, so, you know, very good people in the industry, like Mary Bougeau will constantly tell us, you know, those people don't crop up on a regular market study. <laughs> you know, they're not people that are out there actively looking to move. But if they if they don't move at the time we're building in that in that boutique neighborhood that we've worked so hard to negotiate a great um, a, a great building to be developed on, they realize it might be too late because our wait lists grow so substantially after the building has been built. Um, that housing development is is harder for most people to understand that are in the traditional, you know, apartment building business. Uh, it's not that we're we're renting to people and they're having a choice and trying out their lifestyle in a rental community. These people know their owners at heart and wouldn't move if they weren't an owner in this evolution. But they can downsize to a smaller building smaller unit, a private unit within a building, but still have the benefits of this vast community space, which we develop, which is bigger than anybody else as, as a square footage of uh, units. We're building smaller buildings, bigger units within the buildings, and, and attaching that to a vast greatness of community space. What, what kind of what what kind of community spaces uh, are we talking about here? What are some examples? Sure, I was asked so many years ago about our common space, and I'm happy you said community, because I said we don't develop com common space; we develop uncommon space. <laughs> I thought that was a much better position to be in, and um, that community space we have is exactly the extension of home that the owners want. That, they're, that they would otherwise be giving up if they moved to anywhere else. Um, there's, there's great rooms. There are party rooms, pub rooms, activity rooms. Um, there's the coffee bar. There's the, 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 the wellness studio with state-of-the-art fitness equipment with yoga, yoga studios. And, you know, we don't have yoga classes and live people that we hire, but we downstream proprietary. Uh, yoga classes into that community and inspire people to come out and try. And activity breeds activity in a very literal sense and a figurative sense as well. So we found that offering these great community spaces, uh, maker spaces, potting rooms, if you will, the outdoor spaces, which are vast and well-programmed, uh, well-designed, state, you know, right on the fringe of Trendy, fun, exciting, and it's not old unquote senior housing. We just don't develop senior housing. We develop active adult housing. And um, all those spaces are so important to the consumers. And they they communicate back with us and say, 
this is really the great element of that. And this particular piece of that um, puzzle is something that they are getting that no one else is offering them. And what communities are you in now? Can you tell us about that and maybe some of the current projects you're working on? Sure, um, sure, absolutely. You know, we're I say we're wherever anybody wants to stay. And we're trying to find really great sites that are exactly that. You know, we've, um, unlike the more traditional developer that can come in and find a six-acre, 10-acre site, eight-acre site, we're the ones that look for that two-acre site, that one-point-some-odd-acre site, where we can develop a building that makes sense economically, that still fosters that connectivity to community. It can't be too big to, to, to be that community where the neighbors feel that there's a sense of togetherness, even though they're not on top of one another. So consequently, it's very hard for us to find great sites, but we've seemingly done it over the past uh, many, many years. And we've refined that too, down to from bigger sites to smaller. Um, most recently, we're uh, right now, uh, you know, many of our our product types, if you will, or flags have ranged from the early 90s to my father's participation with Gramercy, which I ended up buying uh, the balance of the corporation out from the three uh, shareholders, the then two shareholders, then to one shareholder and me, um, Gramercy, Gramercy Park. Those are names of yesterday. And they're not today because we're doing things differently than we did back then. Tomorrow, uh, the next evolution was Summerhill, then a partnership that we had delivering a Zivago product. Uh, The last of that partnership's product is coming out of Long Lake, and that will be ready this fall. That's 57 units. Um, Tremendously well received in the marketplace. Again, a quick walk down to a beer and a burger. I think it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good draw being in that fabric of that community. Uh, Glen Lake has been a great Zivago product for us, and I know you've reported on that. Uh, But that's, again, embedded into that little neighborhood where people can walk to where they want to be and have a great spot uh, in a boutique environment. Uh, The additions to that are are, um, Artessa, Artessa being the newest of the brand names that you've heard of and written about. And Artessa is um, building in, um, in, in Shakopee, and that will be in the Canterbury Park neighborhood. It's, uh, it's uh, called Artessa Canterbury Commons. We're proud to be there. Another south of the river, I think is, I don't know, I don't know how many, many, but awfully, an awfully uh, large amount of deals south of the river with those different brand names. And uh, we're adding another one under the Gramercy flag. I'm sorry, under the Artessa flag. And um, and then two, uh, we've just started construction on on the Mound Harbor Artessa building um, that's 52 units. And it is really on a phenomenal site that that really has immediate adjacency. I mean, right there to. Uh, Mount Harbor, which leads you out to Cook's Bay, right on Minnetonka. And we've even got 10 boat slips for the owners of the co-op to manage among themselves right at the marina. Uh, That's another. Uh, We have Maple Grove coming up. We're fully entitled on a Maple Grove site, and people are very excited about that. And then we have two others that we're working on right now, which I'll call you on in a different call. Uh, But um, they're they're just that. They're, They're aligning with great people. Great 
master developers to bring in an element of what we do to make the whole thing better for the majority. Instead of this notion that you know one person or one company can do everything for everybody and more of the same is just better. Um, a lot of the savvy guys that have been around the block realize that a little bit of a lot is better than a lot of one. And um, I feel very strongly about that. The, the Our piece of the housing pie is pretty small, but the pie is pretty damn big. It's, it's getting bigger by the moment, in fact. Got some good statistics on that if you'd like me to share. Yeah, I want to ask you about what are your thoughts on the uh, senior housing market in general and kind of the outlook. We've been hearing for many years, of course, about the demographics and how that will impact senior housing and what some of the needs are. Um, what, what are your, what challenges and opportunities do you see out there for senior housing and in particular for the, uh, the co cooperative project, uh, product type? Great. Great question. I'm a bit of a contrarian, quite honestly. Um, I was asked by some reporter some years ago when all the hubbub was going on in uptown, they said, Tim, why are you developing in the suburbs? and not in Uptown. I've said, because everybody's developing in Uptown. <laughs> and uh, so we're a little bit of a contrarian in that regard. I think we were the leader to go to the suburbs again and say, hey, there are people who want to stay in the suburbs, uh, but they want to stay in the suburbs where the where these neat little neighborhoods are happening. Um, you know, from my vantage point, senior housing in general, bringing it from kind of the macro down to the micro of cooperatives, um, I have an opinion. I might not be right. I, I, I've been pretty, I've been right more than I've been wrong. Let's put it that way. And I'm proud of it. Um, I think it's dismal. I think it's dismal. I think there's so many people uh, that are out in the marketplace that define it so, so broadly. And the people don't. <laughs> we lead our business model by listening to the people. Heaven forbid, you know, give somebody what they want and you, you might have a sporting chance of being right. Um, we've listened. You know, one of our mantras is, but you talk, we listen. And not everybody that turns a certain age is instantly in need of services, even though those housing with services models on paper, if we're strictly running our business on a spreadsheet, which I've seen many, many people do, which I prefer not to. You know, that looks great. Well, but occupancy, staffing, <laughs> regulatory requirements, increasing the cost of the developments are blowing it out of whack. Plus, the truth of the matter is the senior housing model, if you will, quote unquote, rental housing with services, even independent living is an oxymoron. Uh, independent living attached to assisted living and memory care is dependent housing. You're moving in because you need services at some level. You just like the term independent living better than dependent living. So it's maybe a little bit more marketable, but it doesn't mean there's more people in that space. And to me, that's a that's a tough place to be right now in an overbuilt market. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, our model I can't be overbuilt. Somebody can try and repeat it uh, and uh, try and compete with it. But it's tough. It's really tough. You've somehow got to find that happy medium where you can navigate interest rates. You can navigate construction costs. Maybe I should say navigate interest rates, navigate construction costs. 
Um, you can navigate all that environment and still deliver something to the consumers that that isn't so silly they can't afford it. Uh, I've never met a consumer who's argued about paying too too little. <laughs> and um, I like that mantra. You know, everything doesn't need to be gold-plated. As soon as it is, you really ruin the market, I think. So from a from a macro perspective, I think, quote unquote, senior houses are probably overbuilt. It's tough to do. It's tough to operate. It's tough to manage. It's tough to staff. It's tough to build. It's tough to finance. Um, we've got a, a bit of a model that none of that is insulated. None of those items are insulated from what we're doing, but we're able to manage that largely, okay. I think, because of the 30 years worth of seeing the ups and downs. And more than predicting the future, I think I'm able to say, this feels a little bit like it was back in this day. And this is kind of what was happening. I wonder if we shouldn't deploy this idea. I wonder if we shouldn't lean into, in, into this as an option that would make something happen. As deals mm -hmm. fall apart, I'm getting calls almost daily that say, hey, I'll sell you my deal. Well, you know, sell you your deal. That's fine. Uh, I'm not buying the deal. Just flat out, but I might be able to step into be a solution in a marketplace where anything else might not be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How how closely do you track the existing home sale market? Because if, if it sounds like for the people that you're targeting, they they don't have to move. And maybe if they can't get the price that they are looking for right now for their existing home, they might put that move off for yeah. a while. Uh, what's the impact of that? And how are you Attracting that, no, respectfully, Brian. I think, I think that doesn't happen as much as you might think, because just the opposite. Honestly, you know, from our a lot of our consumers, and when times are tough, and maybe the market was tough to sell a home in, I'll always stop in and congratulate the individual at the at the share when they sign their share certificate into our cooperative corporation. They've sold a home. Congratulate them for you know making it through a bad market and their their traditional answer it would surprise you but it's true has been tim you know we bought our house for seventy thousand dollars we never thought it would be worth 170. it could have been worth 700 but we had to sell it for six it's still so vastly more expensive and then they can also choose to take that six if you will that's likely fully paid for and now reinvest just a fraction of that into buying a share in a cooperative corporation and having the leftover money to go do what they really want to do, which generally speaking, you know, focuses on, you know, on, on the things like travel, like volunteering, like, you know, being with family, engaging in more life, important life attributes than worrying about the best week or month or year to sell their home for a, for a profit. They want, people are looking to live. And we're an, we're an available alternative that allows them to do that, where they don't have to break the bank to do so. And one of the mantras that Dina and the sales team have, it, it's not a marketing pitch, it's real, is, you know, people that move into our communities have the freedom to do more of what they want to do and less of what they need to do. That's an important thing when you are, you're, you know, you're an empty nester and you've got a big asset in a home. Now, will that home sell? 
we're not building in bad neighborhoods, I will assure you. We're building in great neighborhoods. And if 60, 70% of those people have a gravitational pull to that kind of great neighborhood, there are a bunch of people. And this is what we hear from the realty community. There's a bunch of people that lean into those neighborhoods. People watch where we build, knowing full well there's going to be a juggernaut of homes probably close by that uh, that they might want to consider someday buying. So in an area, in an environment right now where the so answer is yes, we do focus on the residential sales market, but in an in a environment now where inventory is low, we're inventory to savvy real estate people. <laughs> and we have a lot of friends in the industry, but I'll tell you what, like uh, just a plug on the Droshe group, those guys are really working hard for our consumers saying, hey, here are your alternatives. Here's what we can do. And here's some buyers that might be interested in buying from you. And it really, our little microcosm is not worry and chaos in the residential home market. It's, you know, it's fluent. It's amazing. You know, you list something, you sell it. And uh, will you get top dollar for it if you do it right? Uh, and um, I feel pretty good about that. So part of what we really do is we're not just looking for any place to build. We're looking for where people want to stay. And frankly, we're, we're, where other families want to move. Because if we're building a $30 million building, we're probably inspiring $60, $70 million worth of worth of development and resales of existing homes. And to a city, we are that that that, if you will, reinvention of a now new neighborhood. We are allowing somebody to move from the community, stay in the community respectfully. But allow that home to turn over quicker than it otherwise would if we didn't build what we're building in the neighborhood. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, market. I was wondering if you could, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, you kind of alluded to this, but can you talk a little bit more about your background in in, uh, senior housing and how you got into this business? Sure, love to. Um, I thought we had a twenty-minute podcast window. It'll take me another hour and a half, actually. But <laughs> uh, you know, to to be honest, it's it. I graduated from Arizona State University with a degree in real estate finance and development, and um, that was in '89. And I had a lot of great mentors that are actually good Minnesota guys. You know, that people my age and older know. Uh, the Larry Melodies of the world, LJ Melody and Company. Larry was like an uncle to me. Clyde Pemble, who died far too young in his lifetime, but did a lot of great things. Ted Glassrud, whom I could call on the telephone and ask his opinion. I thought he was a sweetheart. I didn't realize how tough he was to deal with. But he, these were people that really helped me form more than I could have ever done without that. Um, my father was a huge mentor to me and gave me the opportunity to work for him. I thought he was a little bit of a looney tune. Originally, it was hard to work for. Uh, he was my father, my partner, my friend, my duck hunting companion on the weekends and everywhere else. But at work, I was I was this flunky that uh, was running numbers for the company. And I worked my fanny off. I worked more hours, got paid less, and I couldn't be uh, you know, happier about that. Uh, I learned a lot from diving right into finance. And that was really my my impetus 
in making our development company a better development company. I'm famous for saying, I don't know if the statistics are right, and I've never I've never tried them, but I think if you're good at finance, you'll be a you know, be a 60% good developer. If you're good at development, you could be a 60% good financier. But if you're good at both, I think you're somewhere around 120. I don't know if I've made that bar yet, but um, I would tell you that knowing both helps you be better at each. And together, you need to know that. So I worked for my father's firm. I bought out my father's partner, Mike Conlin. Uh, that was when they were doing Gramercy originally. I financed a couple billion dollars worth of multifamily housing. I was one of the first uh, healthcare approved FHA lenders, uh, and I was the chief underwriter. And I got to have my hands on the financing of deals that were this new model called assisted living. And um, we financed a bunch of deals. We understood them. We worked directly with hierarchy from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, people that had retired from there, gone on to forge a, you know, a dynamic industry. And I was happily a little part of that. And um, and with seeing all of that, Brian, I was really able to have the luxury of, of focusing on the things that I love. And where senior housing is a great niche, um, dealing with people in the active adult space is hugely rewarding. You know, our why is them. Our why is the benefit that our communities have to those people. And for me, that's the best. Well, you, that's, uh, you have a great story to tell, Tim, and um, I, I wish you well with your projects and uh, all your endeavors going forward. Is there anything else you wanted to add before I let you go? Not, not at all. I, I appreciate the forum. I appreciate the industry's support and and uh, being looked at as uh, as a niche guy that that has has spanned the test of time, and we're hopefully doing innovative and remarkable things right in our space. Uh, we appreciate you noticing, reporting on this, and um, I'm happy to have had this interview. So thank you very much. Great. Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. I, I do as well. Thanks. Have a, have a good day. You too. Take care. Thank you.